With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The 2020 MLB season will be won like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, hello, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We certainly had an interesting day on Wednesday, to say the least, with a couple postponed games. So we're going to be joined by pre- and post-game hosts for 710 ESPN in Seattle for the Mariners. Curtis Rogers in the second segment. He's going to talk about why the Mariners wound up deciding to postpone their game, what is going to be all happening with regards to a possible doubleheader on Thursday. And we're also going to just talk to him about this young Mariners team in general. So we're going to have a good chat in the second segment. In the final segment, I'm going to be giving you guys sign total on every game on Thursday's MLB betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. Now there might be some moving pitchers by the time you hear this because I'm doing this obviously the night before. There is a whole lot of moving parts so I did my best on this one. There are some games in which we just don't even know what the rotation numbers are going to be. It's just one of these things where I've never seen so many games get postponed and then so many weird seven inning double headers because it's not even like you can necessarily take the numbers from one day to the other because you need to now put it into the form of seven innings. So it is going to be very interesting, but I'm going to do my absolute best for you guys. I do that day in and day out. And if there is something that you like answered on this podcast, fire that in my Twitter timeline at Jaren's 41. If you send these via direct message, aka DM, well, letters DM to me mean does not matter. I just had 
whole bunch of questions when it came to the double headers and what was all happening and everything like that. So we're going to try to just smooth out all those games in the final segment. Obviously, there's a lot of questions with the pitchers and everything like that. So trying my absolute best here. But I always do my best to give you guys a little bit of a roundup as to everything we're seeing in baseball, all the results from the day before. So let's take a look at that, try to get to know these teams a little bit better and try to find some trends. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Here's a trend. The White Sox offense is really stinking good. They wind up taking down the Buckos by a count of 10 to 3 in this one. If you're taking a look for the Chicago White Sox, this is a team that they have scored at least four runs in all their non-doubleheader games, and I believe now 11 out of their last 13. And for the White Sox, three of home runs. How about Edwin Encarnacion, his fifth home run in the campaign. Jose Abreu winds up getting his 12th, and Eloy Jimenez, his 10th. And then you also had, going deep in this one, Daniel Mendek, his third. So actually a quadrant of home runs. And a lot of those came off of Trevor Williams, who wound up being able to give the team six innings. He just wasn't effective. He gave up eight runs. This is in big part because the Pittsburgh Pirates had a scheduled doubleheader with the St. Louis Cardinals for Thursday. They knew it was going to be a double dip, so he ate innings for this team. Taylor Bachelor came in from there. He gave up two runs over the course of two innings for the Pittsburgh Pirates. A team in which they had six out of their nine starters have a 205 batting average or lower at the end of this game. Was able to get a home run. Eric Gonzalez, his second of the campaign. That wound up coming off of the bullpen of the Chicago White Sox. Says, How about Dallas Keuchel continuing to be absolutely terrific? Six innings pitch. He winds up giving up two runs. It was Zach Birdie who wound up giving up that home run in the eighth inning, but you were able to get some good pitching out of Steve Ciszek as well. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, now 7-9-19. They are the worst team when it comes to win percentage out there in the big leagues. A team that is certainly a little bit better than that is the New York Yankees, but they wind up getting swept by the Atlanta Braves in a double dip by kind of 5-1. to one. This one's a little bit stunning. Garrett Cole takes his first loss as a decision in a regular season game in, I believe, 20. He winds up going five innings. He gives up five runs in the process, including three bombs. Going deep for the Atlanta Braves. Marcel Ozuna, his third of the campaign. Danzy Swanson, his fourth. Ronald Acuna Jr. is fresh off the injured list. His fifth, as it was a debut for Ian Anderson. He goes six innings and he gives up one hit, and that one, it was one that wound up flying over the fence going deep for the New York Yankees. Luke Voigt, the 11th of the campaign, seems to be the only constant for this team as it just weren't able to get much generated. Brett Gardner also had a hit in this game. Now, you do have to realize John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge, along with a few others are currently held the full for the New York Yankees, but my goodness, that was a little bit stunning. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, Shane Green was able to come in, and he was able to close the door in this one. In Game 2, it was another low-scoring game, but once again, it was Braves and under as they were able to get a 2-1 to win. The big difference maker in this one for the Atlanta Braves, Freddie Freeman goes deep in the sixth inning. His fifth home run of the campaign, Max Freed, who had another terrific start. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. Mark Melanson closes the door from there. And for the New York Yankees, Masiro Tanaka with a terrific start in this one. He winds up giving up no runs over the course of five innings, no walks either, and Caleb Green, he comes in and he gives up that two-run home run for the New York Yankees. Once again, the bats were scuffling. They wind up getting five hits in this one, 0 of 3 with men in scoring position. I mean, Miguel Andujar is right now hitting a buck 60 for this bunch, so it certainly has been interesting, and then Aaron Judge wound up getting the start in this game. He went 1 of 3, so obviously a little bit of an encouraging sign that Judge at the very least was able to take the field. Taking the field for the first time in a while for the Cleveland Indians, that'd be Mike Clevenger, and he he wound up being able to lead his team to a 6-3 victory. Clevenger winds up going six innings in this one. He gives up two runs in the process, giving up a home run to Minnesota's Max Kepler, his seventh of the campaign, and Jose Barrios, not a great start, not a terrible start. Five and two-thirds innings, he winds up giving up three runs, and that was off a Jose Ramirez three-run bomb in sixth of the campaign, and for the Minnesota Twins, 
They wind up giving up three runs out of the bullpen, all by Sergio Romo, who on this podcast, he is known as Submergio Romo, and he submerged the game. This makes me very happy because I get to use that finally. As for the Cleveland Indians, they go three of eight with men in scoring position. Their ninth over of the season as Oliver Perez, Phil Mayton, along with Brad Ann, were able to close out the game with three innings from there that they wound up giving up a combined one run in. Oliver Perez gave up that run as he now has a buck 50 ERA, but certainly a very good display for from the Cleveland Indians. A good display from the Detroit Tigers as they wind up taking down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 7-6 as the Chicago Cubs put up three runs in the ninth inning to try to make a little bit of a bonsai charge, but it just was not enough in this one for the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Schwarber was able to get his sixth home run the campaign, but John Lester, after he winds up giving up one run over the course of five innings, got absolutely no help whatsoever from the bullpen. The only guy of the bullpen that didn't give up a run was Greg Kimbrell, who shrunk his ERA to an 8.59. Colin Rhea winds up giving up a run in an inning, but it was Mr. Rowan Wick along with Mr. Tapera, Ryan Tapera. He wound up giving up three runs in a third of an inning. For Wick, he winds up giving up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is a bunch that they were able to do so with Cameron Mabin being able to help lead the charge with three hits. You also wound up having a pair of RBI in this one from Nico Goodrum and Austin Romine. For Michael Fulmer, he continues to get roughed up. 879 ERA. He gives up two runs over the course of three innings, but bullpen from there was not bad. Buck Farmer gives up three runs, but past that, Joey Menes, only man that wound up giving up a run of the Detroit Tigers bullpen. So, all of a sudden, they've been able to get a little bit hot, and for the Chicago Cubs, certainly has been a little bit of a tailspin, as this is a bunch that they have now lost five out of their last seven games. A team that has been losing a whole bunch of games recently, that would be the Baltimore Orioles. They wind up losing to the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 4-3. to three. For the Baltimore Orioles, I believe that they have now lost 10 out of their last 12. In this one, they go 1-9 of nine with men in scoring position, and Escher Wojciechowski, not the start they had desired. Three runs given up over the course of four innings, including giving up a home run. Going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays in this one was Mr. Brandon Lau. That would be his 10th home run of the campaign. And then in the eighth inning, the difference maker was Michael Perez going deep for his first home run of the season. As for the Rays, they were able to get a solid start out of Trevor Richards. He does give up two runs over the course of four and a third innings, but they were both unearned runs. From there, Peter Fairbanks gives up another unearned run. As Yandy Diaz and Hunter Renfro both commit some pretty bad errors out there in the field, I'm not going to lie. And for the Baltimore Orioles, this is a bunch of they actually had a very good showing out of the bullpen. Michael Givens winds up giving up that home run. He wound up having to go 29 pitches, but you wind up having guys like Paul Fry, Miguel Castro, Tanner Scott and company being able to hold down the fort and keeping the Orioles within striking distance. The Blue Jays are always within striking distance because of their offense and where they play their home games, and they wind up taking down the Boston Red Sox by a kind of 9-1. For this one for Toronto, they wound up going with a pseudo-opener in Julian Merriweather. He goes two innings, doesn't give up a single run. Sean Yamaguchi, who comes over from the MPB, looked very good in a bulk roll. Four innings pitch, he gives up one run, and then from there, Rafael Dulles, Anthony Bass, and Sean Reed Foley were all able to pitch a scoreless inning as for the Toronto Blue Jays. They had the power working in this one. Rowdy Roddy Telez, two home runs, his fifth and sixth of the season, and Randall Gritchick goes deep for his sixth. For the Boston Red Sox, Colton Brewer wound up getting the start, and it's not what he was intending. He gave up all three of those home runs. Four runs give it up in three and two-thirds innings. Ryan Weber winds up coming in in long relief, two and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, and Austin Bryce gives up two runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning. Josh Ushich, by the way, shook his 7-11 ERA. He winds up going an inning scoreless, 6.59 ERA for him and for the Boston Red Sox. They muster three hits in what is a Toronto Blue Jays bullpen game. That is not necessarily terrific. You know what else was not terrific? The Washington Nationals hitting with men in scoring position. They wind up losing to the 
with Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 3-2. Aaron Supernova was pretty super in this one. He gives up two runs over the course of seven innings. He did get eight punch-outs and gave up a home run going deep for the Washington Nationals. Juan Soto's eighth home run on the campaign as Patrick Corbin also looked solid. Six innings pitch, gives up two runs. Walt Harris wound up giving up around the bullpen, but Tanner Rainey and Danny Hudson were able to hold down the fort before the Washington Nationals. Two of ten with men in scoring position. That was their bugaboo as for the Philadelphia Phillies. Reese Hoskins was able to go deep. That was his third home run of the season as he now has 10 RBI. And by the way, he's got a 229 batting average and a 423 on base. That's absolutely insane. Now, the Phillies, they themselves left 10 men on base, but you can tell that the bullpen acquisitions are working for this team. Tommy Hunter and Brandon Workman, scoreless 8th and ninth innings for this team. Something that we have not seen a lot of from the Philadelphia Phillies, and they've played back-to-back unders as a result. Ding dong, the witch is dead. They are finally getting a little bit of bullpen pitching. The New York Mets are all of a sudden giving Jacob deGrom a little bit of support as well. They wind up taking down the Miami Marlins by kind of 5-4. For Miami, Eliezer Hernandez did not give the start that they had desired. He went four innings. He gave up four runs, three of which were earned, including a pair of bombs going deep for the New York Mets in this one. Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto, both their fifth home run in the campaign. For Jacob deGrom, an absolutely masterful start. He gets 14 strikeouts in seven innings, but he doesn't get the win because guess what? The bullpen wound up choking it away as Mr. Justin Wilson in a third of an inning gives up three runs. And then you had Edwin Diaz come in from there. Brad Brock was able to get a four-out win, I guess you could call it. As for the New York Mets, they were able to rally late in this game for a run as giving up that run late in this one for the Miami Marlins. Nick Vincent, who came on to try to help hold down the fourth. But you have to like the fact that you're seeing Jesus Tinoco in the bullpen for the Miami Marlins. Two scoreless settings from him. And for the Miami Marlins, two of seven with men in scoring position. They don't get a single home run, but they were able to just move them around in this one, and they were able to manufacture four runs. Speaking of manufacturing runs, that's exactly what the Oakland A's did against the Texas Rangers as they get a 3-1 to one win. Two of ten with men in scoring position, but Mike straight fires was straight fires. He winds up going six innings, gives up an unearned run as Sean Murphy wound up making a bad throw at the catcher spot, but Joaquin Soria, Jake Diekman, Liam Hendricks, they are able to close down the fort from there as for the Texas Rangers. Grand total of three hits and three errors for them. The trio of errors came from the good old Todd father, Todd Frazier. He wanted making a bad fielding error. Nick Solak also made an error. And then you wind up having one of the relief pitchers in Jolie Rodriguez also making an error as it was just a very interesting day to say the least. Kobe Allard winds up going five and a third innings. He had looked terrible to begin the year, but he winds up despite walking four, only giving up two runs, both of which were earned. And then you had Jonathan Hernandez come out of the bullpen. He wound up giving up a run as well, but by and large, you take a look at this bullpen of the Texas Rangers. They had five relievers enter in this game. Only Nick Goody, who's actually a pretty solid reliever for them, had an ERA above a 208 when they left this game. So they've been able to do a little bit of something there. And speaking of doing a little bit of something, the Colorado Rockies were able to barely survive once again against the Arizona Diamondbacks. As much like they did on Tuesday, they were able to load up the bases in the ninth inning and get out of it. 8-7 to seven the final in this one. It looked like it was going to be a dead under, and then you wound up having a grand total of 11 runs scored in the 8th and ninth inning for the Colorado Rockies. Pair of home runs in this one. Sam Milliard and Charlie Blackman is fourth of the campaign, and for Blackman, he's now hitting a 390 in his quest for 400. John Gray was terrific. Six innings pitch. He gives up one run. And then from there, the bullpen did not hold up their end of the bargain as Yancy Almonte, Jario Diaz, along with Tyler Kinley, all give up a run for Almonte. One and a third innings for him, and for 
the other two. They wind up getting two outs and giving up two runs. Jeff Hoffman had to put out the fire in the bottom of the ninth inning. Meanwhile, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they finally score more than four runs for, I think, the second time in their last seven games. It has not been good for them for the Saints. Four of 11 with men in scoring position, and Robbie Ray just did not put this team in good form. He winds up giving up six walks. He only gives up two runs over the course of four innings, but he just jacked up his pitch count once again to not give a lot of length. So as a result, you had Yohan Lopez come into the game. He winds up recording five outs. He gives up a run. Matt Grace has looked absolutely terrible for this team. He now has an ERA of a 54. He gives up three runs without recording a single out. And then from there, you had to go to Riley Smith making his debut. He gives up two runs and two innings, so he now has a nine ERA. So not necessarily ideal for the Saints, who are currently riding a long losing streak. Meanwhile, for the Colorado Rockies. After things got a little bit rough for them, they have now won three straight games. So that is what we all noticed from Major League Baseball on Wednesday. If you notice, there were a couple missing games like the LA Dodgers versus the San Francisco Giants, the Milwaukee Brewers against the Cincinnati Reds, the Pods and the Mariners. Well, you had a couple postponed games and we're going to be talking about what's going to be happening with that Padres versus Mariners series and so much more with our good buddy Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN. He does pre and post game work for the Mariners and we're going to be chatting with him on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peters. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to have on our guest. He does absolutely terrific work out there in the city of Seattle. He actually does pre- and post-game work for the Seattle Mariners for their flagship station, 710 ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter, at a kid from Kent. He has joined me a lot on this podcast, and it is because... He does absolutely terrific work. And you may catch him on my college basketball podcast as well. Curtis, it is always great to have you aboard. How are you? Greg, doing good. Busy day here up in Seattle. Busy day covering the Mariners. And as it has been in the year of 2020, so unpredictable and yet almost kind of predictable. You kind of saw this news coming as the NBA unfolded. And then we saw the Milwaukee Brewers and then it's just kind of rippling out. But yeah, busy, busy day. But I think it's time that, you know, the Band-Aid kind of needs to be ripped off. You know, It certainly is something that there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable questions that are going to be presented, not just on radio shows, not just on podcasts, but just in people's living rooms in general. I know that there's just a wide variety of thoughts as to the game being postponed on Wednesday, so it certainly is one of those very touchy topics, but when it comes to on the field, obviously the Seattle Mariners did not wind up playing on Wednesday. Is the idea for this team to play double headers either Thursday or Friday, or are they just going to skip the game? Because I know that with the Milwaukee Brewers, they are going to be playing a double header on Thursday, and truth be told, as we're doing this right now, we are getting just more and more details as to what happened with the Padres and Mariners series along with that of the Dodgers and the Giants, who also postponed. I believe the plan, if they do play again, would be to have a day-night doubleheader with the San Diego Padres. Luckily, they already have a game scheduled for 1 o'clock Pacific time, which would make it easier to have the night cap of that doubleheader. It would be two seven-inning games. And then the Mariners, their next game, it's not too far away. It would be in Anaheim against the Angels, so... It's not as though they have a cross-country flight to get to or anything like that, so it makes travel a lot easier in this 
sense. So if the Mariners and Padres do resume this series, I would expect for there to be a doubleheader. But they could eventually make it up, maybe play one game and have a remake somewhere along the way if they have a mutual day off in there. But yeah, it's just very unexpected heading into the day. But just based off of the conversations that have taken place throughout the sports world, it didn't take many people by surprise when the news came down. Yeah, it certainly was very interesting. I know that I had my good buddy Alex Crow, who I went to college with. He and another one of my friends from college, they've been doing a lot of reporting with regards to the Kenosha issue. So that certainly was something that didn't come as necessarily the biggest shock to me. And the big reason why, in my opinion, the Seattle Mariners wound up postponing their game with the San Diego Padres on Wednesday is because they do have a lot of black players that are on their team. So I do think that that was a little bit of an interesting part of it as well, because we saw a lot of the afternoon games like the Cubs versus the Tigers game, the double dip between the Yankees and the Atlanta Braves all wind up getting played. And then you had a couple games for the nightcap that wound up being postponed and a couple other games that wound up being played. So I just thought it was very weird that we saw some games getting played and some games getting postponed because typically in these sorts of situations, it's a little bit more of an all or nothing thing or you'd think only the Milwaukee Brewers were postponed as well, which is why I feel like this is just so much more unique than a lot of these other things that we've seen the last couple months. Yeah, I guess maybe... Major League Baseball was okay with certain teams sort of choosing on their own because of just how sporadic the scheduling has been in Major League Baseball this season. I believe it was a couple days ago. It was the first day without any sort of cancellations in about a month, since about July 25th or something like that. But for the Mariners and their decision, I think it boils down to they have the most African-American players on their roster of any team In the big leagues, I think it's around 10, which is nearly half of their roster being African-American. And as we know, in baseball, that's a big number, which is unfortunate that that's a big number because it's America's pastime. You know, you want this game to grow and it just has not caught on in the African-American community. But for the Mariners to have that many black players on their team, I think is a really cool thing, not just in the game of baseball, but for kids watching the game at home and especially those who are African-American and saying, like, I belong in that sport. And I think that's why this story reverberated so far outside of Wisconsin and so far out of the Brewers clubhouses, specifically to the Mariners because of how much representation they have in that community. And I think that's why this decision was made. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow they continue this. You know, this is something that For those of us who are not African-American, we don't understand it on the level that they would. I think that's something that is tough to kind of figure out in all this is, you know, why are sports being used in this way? Well, it's how you get a lot of people's attention. It's how you get the attention of a lot of people in middle America specifically. And for the Mariners to do something like this, for the Brewers to do something like this, where their team is actually in middle America, it's big and it's bigger than sports. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it has to be sports figures that are controlling this message rather than, you know, the people who are in charge of laws and all that in this country, all sorts of elected officials from all sorts of sides of the aisle. I mean, it's not just one person here or there. I commend the athletes for having to do this, but, you know, hopefully other people who are in charge of this stuff get it together here. 
It certainly is something that I had a lot of conversations with my friends about because obviously very hot button topic in Wisconsin. My mom always loves being able to watch a Milwaukee Brewers fan. So that was a very interesting text exchange as well as we do have Curtis Rogers joining me on the podcast. This is a terrific work with pre and post game work for ESPN 710 out there in Seattle. And then just take a look at this Mariners team in general. They were actually coming off a very nice win on Tuesday. Marco Gonzalez gave the team five strong, wound up giving up three runs and what I've noticed with the Mariners is that all of a sudden the bullpen that was absolutely terrible to begin the year, they found something with guys like Taylor Williams and company. They wind up DFAing and then eventually trading Daniel Vogelback. And it feels like this is a team that's having a big youth movement. And guys like Justice Sheffield and company, along with obviously what we've seen from the Kyles, Kyle Seeger along with Kyle Lewis, they've been able to step up to the plate and they've been able to do a good job for the team over the past few weeks. They have. And you mentioned that bullpen and I think they may have found a closer for the time being. That'd be Taylor Williams, who's actually a local kid. He grew up in Southern Washington, kind of near the Oregon border. He was a big Mariners fan growing up. But yeah, when he sort of came in, no one really knew who he was. Now he's got about, I think, six saves on the season. Really showing up the back end of the bullpen. Yoshihisa Hirano, the former reliever from the Diamondbacks organization, he's been used in sort of late-game situations. They were expecting a lot out of Carl Edwards Jr. at one point, but he got hurt and was placed on the 45-day injured list. But you mentioned a lot of those young guys, Greg, and, and you look at Kyle Lewis, who might be the Rookie of the Year favorite in the American League. OPS over a 1,000, leading the league in hits, leading the league in batting average, too, I believe. This team right now is built towards 2021 and 2022, but I think we're starting to see a little bit of the fruits of the labor that Jerry Dipoto has put in over the last couple of years. When they traded away so many of those guys, when you know, Robinson Cano and James Paxton and Edwin Diaz, a lot of people questioned what the direction of the franchise was going to be. And you look at the talent they have brought back in those trades. Yeah, there's talent at the major league level that has made it to the bigs. Obviously, Kyle Lewis and Justin Sheffield. Justin Dunn, also part of that Edwin Diaz, Robinson Cano trade. But there are other guys on the way, too. Jared Kelnick, I think, maybe the biggest name of all those trades and maybe the biggest name in the Mariners' farm system right now. So I think the seeds are being planted for contention maybe in the back half of 2021. But I think 2022 is when... Things are really going to pick up for the Mariners, but it's good to see a lot of these young guys take off. Evan White, another person who had a terribly slow start to the season, but he's really picked it up. I believe over the last couple of weeks, he's hitting over 300, has four home runs, about 12 RBI. So guys all over the place right now playing well for the Mariners as we approach the, the second half of the season. And J.P. Crawford with a home run on Tuesday as well. Yeah. That was very nice to see as we've got Curtis Rogers joining me on the podcast. And then just taking a look at the ALS in general, Justin Dunn, who you mentioned, he has been a Rangers stopper for this team. He hasn't necessarily been able to perform against any team other than the Texas Rangers, which I find to be very hilarious. But just taking a look at this division in general, we all know that it's probably going to be the Oakland A's along with the Houston Astros are competing for things in the end. But how do you really gauge this division? Just because when I take a look at the Oakland A's, it's been a very interesting situation with this team because they're not necessarily doing the best job of getting on base, but they've been doing a great job of just being able to lump those base runners together, get that three-run home run that's encapsulated by Matt Olson, hitting below the Mendoza line, but 10-plus home runs so far this year. And then with the Houston Astros, this is a team that you expected to be firing out cylinders on offense, but the pitching would take a step back with no Garrett Cole, no Justin Verlander. But I know that there was a stretch in which they wound up winning like six games in a row in which they scored three runs or fewer. 
Yeah, the AL West has been so hard to predict this season, especially with the improvements that everybody thought the Angels were going to make. They're dead last in the division. The Rangers, who were competitive up until about August last year, they're terrible. We all knew the Mariners weren't going to be in contention this season. So everybody kind of looked at the A's and the Astros as the two teams that were going to carry the water in this division. And for the most part, the A's have held up their end of the bargain. The Astros up until recently had not been doing so. Then they got hot a little bit there. But like you said, I mean, the Astros are not the same team that they were a year ago. You know, Jose Altuve has struggled mightily this season. They don't have any sort of pitching the way they did a year ago. They still have Zach Greinke, who getting people out on that 54-mile-an-hour EFIS pitch, that thing of beauty. But it is a division right now that if I were a betting man, I think the A's are the team that I would have the most confidence in going furthest, which, you know, it's kind of treacherous picking the A's in any sort of postseason <laughs> race. They're usually good to get to the divisional round, and especially with how many teams that are going to get to the postseason this year, there's more opportunity for craziness to happen. But if I'm picking a team in the AL West right now to believe in, I think the A's would have to be that team. Yeah, I do agree with you just because the pitching of the Oakland A's is very good. If they're able to get A.J. Puck back, that's going to be huge. Jesus Lazardo has had his ups and downs, but he certainly is a guy that they're going to be able to build around for the future. And then you've got, obviously, Liam Hendricks, he has Merrill Petit, all these guys out there in the bullpen as well. So I really do circle them. And one other thing that I circle, that'd be the tremendous work that you're doing, Curtis. I know that you do pre- and post-game for the Seattle Mariners when they are playing, which should be once again very, very soon. I know you've been doing a great job with the John Clayton Show, Seattle Sports Night slash Seattle Sports Saturday podcast, which you can find where you find this fine podcast. So just let the good people at home know what you're working on in general and how they're able to follow along on social media. Yeah, for any more Mariners coverage, pre- and post-game show is where you can find me covering the team. And then also Monday through Friday on the John Clayton Show from 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time on 710 ESPN Seattle. Yeah, download the podcast at 710sports.com or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And Curtis does an absolutely terrific job with a variety of different things. And occasionally, he gets in like 45 minutes of sleep, much like myself. So, a big thanks to Curtis Rogers for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on what should be a very interesting Thursday MLB betting board and a little something you like to call Coach Amal. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. Now it's that time the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Thursday's MLB betting board, or at least the ones that are currently listed on the MLB betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Now I'll give you the generic disclaimer that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRSquarty1. As we heard from Curtis, there's likely going to be a doubleheader between the Seattle Mariners and the San Diego Padres. What is going to be happening with the LA Dodgers versus the San Francisco Giants also likely going to be a doubleheader. I have no idea what the exact rotation numbers on these are going to be. We're going to have one between the Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds as well. So 
when I get to these games on the normal betting board, I'm sort of just going to be clumping these together. There's probably going to be a lot of changes. I'm going to do my absolute best here. This is the messiest board I've ever had in my life. It certainly is going to be interesting. So buckle up for safety because we begin with 953, 954 on the betting board because 951, 952 was supposed to be Angels versus Astros. That is not happening. So we start with this one as it is the Seattle Mariners who are going to be on the road facing off against the San Diego Padres. This is going to be the 1.10 p.m. Pacific, 4.10 p.m. Eastern game. This is game one, the double dip. Yusei Kikuchi going for the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, Garrett Richards is going to be going for the San Diego Padres. This game was listed originally as a nine-inning game, and your total on the game was nine. The under was minus 120, and the over was even with the Seattle Mariners being anywhere between about a plus 175 and a plus 185 underdog, and the Padres being anywhere between minus $2 and minus 215. That is probably going to change a little bit. And then you're going to have game two of this doubleheader. I have absolutely no idea what they're going to list this as for the rotation numbers. And we've got no starters. So it's going to be very interesting. What I can tell you is that in this game one, I'm going to be taking a look at the Seattle Mariners. You say Kikuchi has not been absolutely terrible so far this year. He entered into this year with two-thirds of his starts going over the total. And with this seven-inning double dip, I've got to think that with this total being at nine to start with, it'll probably fall to seven. And with Kikuchi, he's given up zero home runs. So far this year. Now, the 10 blocks are a little bit unsightly, but you take a look at the other side for Garrett Richards. It is going to be very interesting. And according to ESPN, apparently this game is going to be played at 12 10 p.m. Pacific, 3 10 p.m. Eastern, and he's going to be going up against Nelson Lament. So that means that we're probably going to see Garrett Richards in game two. So we are going to prepare for both these guys. With Nelson Lament, he has been doing a solid job. Buck 89 ERA, 33 and a third innings. He's given up three home runs. He's been able to hold down the fourth. Occasionally jacks up his pitch count, and then when you take a look at the Padres and what they're able to get out of Garrett Richards, it's been a little bit up and down so far this year. I mean, I can't believe that we actually have this going on right now where we've got just like musical pitchers and everything like that. But when you take a look at what Garrett Richards has done, 352 ERA, he certainly has been injured for much of the past couple of years, but he's given up three home runs in 30 and two-thirds innings. He's got 25 punch outs, but he, much like Kikuchi, has given up 12 walks as well. I will be taking a look at this total over whether it's Nelson Lamette or Yusei Kikuchi, though, because with the San Diego Padres, this is a bunch that they certainly are mashing. We know that they are now being called Slam Diego because of all the grand slams that they've been hitting. You've got quite a few guys sitting in that neighborhood between a 250 and a 270. Josh Naylor, Ty France, along with Trent Grisham, all in that fold, and Eric Hosmer as well. Got a couple guys that need to pick it up in Drexel Profar, Austin Edges, and Francisco Mejia, currently on the injured list, but Jake Cronworth has been able to hit at 342. Will Myers has been able to show off some power. And then you've got Manny Machado also hitting at 2 to go with Fernando Tatis Jr. is hitting a 300 with 12 home runs. And for the Seattle Mariners, we were talking about it with our good buddy Curtis. How about this team being able to come alive? You've seen the on-base percentage of J.P. Crawford fall to more around a 325, but he's been able to do a good job. Evan White is still hitting a buck 68, but he's been able to give this team a little bit of something. Now, you need something out of someone like Jake Fraley, D. Gordon, the injured Malik Smith and company, but Kyle Lewis and Kyle Seager have been absolutely terrific. With Seager, 370 on base, he's hitting more in the neighborhood of a 290. He's been able to go yard five times with 24 RBI, and then with Kyle Lewis, he has been absolutely tearing it up. 360 batting average, seven home runs, 19 RBI. In that game one, whether it's Denelson Lamette or Garrett Richards, I'll probably be taking a look at Yusei Kikuchi. Game two, it is good old to be determined, so it looks like we're going to have Garrett Richards versus 
someone in game two and Nelson Lamette versus Yusei Kikuchi in game one. But once again, check back in my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, but likely going to decide with Kikuchi in the game one start, which is going to be at now apparently 12.10 p.m. Pacific, 3.10 p.m. Eastern. So we're going to try our best with that one. And if you're seeing a total of right around seven in game one, that double dip, I'm going to be taking that over. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. This is going to be one straight up game as it is the Colorado Rockies who are going to be on the road facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. New York Post play of the day here, people, as we've got Zach Allen on the bump for the D-backs. Meanwhile, Kyle Freeland is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. We're talking on this game anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, over juice of minus 115, the unders minus 105, and on the 9, the under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. If you're taking a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, it's going to be laying anywhere between minus 155 and minus 165. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Colorado Rockies, anywhere between plus 145 and plus 150. Kyle Freeland has been very solid for the Colorado Rockies so far this year. He had that unsightly north of 5 ERA during the 2019 campaign. It was actually worse. He was giving up home runs left and right, and he still has given up a couple bombs so far this year. 37 and two-thirds innings, he's given up 5 home runs, but he's limited the walks to 10. Not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy. 24 punch-outs so far this year. And you take a look at this Arizona Diamondbacks team. My goodness, this offense is lost right now. They have scored two runs or fewer in now six out of their last eight games. It's just absolutely terrible. But you still have the Marte Parte, Cattell and Starling Marte, both ending above a 300. David Peralta has been able to hit right around a 300. Christian Walker, more in the 290 range. But you need more out of Cole Calhoun. Why he's batting leadoff, I have no idea. Because he's hitting at 217. He's been able to give the team eight home runs, but that really makes no sense to me. Meanwhile, Mr. Eduardo Escobar, Jake Lamb, and Steve Avoit are all hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200. Nick Amata has been able to do a little bit of something. And then when you take a look at the Colorado Rockies, they're home to road splits when it comes to offense. Biggest out there in the big leagues. You take a look at what you're able to get out of Trevor's story along with Charlie Blackman. It's absolutely terrific. It has been story time all year long. He's hitting above a 300. He's got right around 8 home runs. Charlie Blackman hitting a 388. But then you've got a bunch of guys from there that they're not necessarily holding up their end of the bargain. Josh Fuentes along with Mr. Diaz, Elias Diaz at the catcher spot. They both wound up getting starts. They're hitting a 230 or lower Sam Hilliard right around a 232 and then you've got Mr. Drew Patera along with Brendan Rodgers. Two young guys have come up and they haven't necessarily been able to do a lot with the bat. They're hitting below a 200. But for the Colorado Rockies, best road bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. That's something that you're able to get jacked up about. And for the years on the Diamondbacks, they've been able to do a little bit of a better job. Now, Robbie Ray wound up only being able to go four innings for the team during their start yesterday. But that's where you've got Zach Gale. And he has given up three runs or fewer in all 21 of his career starts. He is going for a record because I think Jacob DeGrom had 26 of them. But... He has been lights out all year long. He already faced off against the Colorado Rockies once. Gave up two runs in seven innings at Coors. That is not easy to do for Gallon. He does get a little bit loose with the walks. We saw him walk three in the first inning against the San Francisco Giants, but 36 innings so far this year. He's given up five home runs, 42 punch outs. He's been able to do a very good job. I think Arizona is going to be able to drop just enough offense in this spot. I don't want to risk a run line here, so I'm going to be going with the money line of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I don't think either team gets past four, so we're going to be going with this total under as well. 957, 958 on the betting board is up next. Another game that is a standalone as you've got the Toronto aka Buffalo Blue Jays and they are going to be playing us to the Boston Red Sox. Hin Jin Ryu is going to be going for the Buffalo Blue Jays. Meanwhile, Chris Mazza is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. If you're looking at this total, it is anywhere between 10 and 10 and a half. On the 10 and a half, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the 10 and a half, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between even and minus 105. And if you're taking a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180 is what you're laying here. Meanwhile, with the Red Sox, you're going to get anywhere between plus 150 and plus 162. And I'm going to be certainly 
siding with the Toronto Blue Jays here. This is a Boston Red Sox team that they wound up putting up a one run in Buffalo on Wednesday. That is not good because this is a ballpark that it is a originally a triple-A ballpark. It has been I guess you could call it remade to be able to host MLB games, but the fences are all very, very shallow, and this is a Boston Red Sox team that they've got a couple guys that are doing an okay job in the lineup. Mitch Moreland is sitting at 350. You have to give this team credit with Kevin Pillar, Jackie Bradley Jr., Christian Vasquez, only between a 250 and a 260, but Rafael Devers and J.D. Martinez both hitting below a 225. is not good. Alex Verdugo has been up and down. He's hitting a 290, and then when you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, how about Randall Grichik now hitting above a 3-hour for this bunch? He's been able to go deep eight times. Tasker Hernandez, this guy is white hot right now. He's got 10 home runs. He's hitting just below a 300. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been able to give this team right around a 255 average along with Rowdy Telez. Telez was off to a rough start to the year. Two home runs in the team's win on Wednesday and then you've got Kevon Biggio nearly a 400 on base and even Santiago Espinal now hitting a 270. At this time last week he was hitting below the Mendoza line with the Toronto Blue Jays. Certainly not the world's greatest bullpen. They wound up having a bullpen game in their win on Wednesday but Hinjin Rue you got to think is going to be able to give this team quite a few innings for the Boston Red Sox. This is one of the worst bullpens I've ever seen. But for Chris Mazza, in his first start against the New York Yankees, I'm not going to say that it was great, but at the same time, he did give the team three innings, so there was that. He had to evade a lot of danger, and this certainly is not the New York Yankees. I think that Rue is going to be able to do a good job of holding down the Boston Red Sox once again. I think that this is going to be the Toronto Blue Jays able to get to Mazza, and then from there, Phillips, Valdez, and company are going to do just enough to hold this game under. So we're going to take the run line here of the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to be looking at that anywhere between even-ish, maybe minus 105, maybe plus 105, but somewhere in that neighborhood, we're going to be taking that run line, and we're going to be taking this total under as well. 959-960 on the betting board is up next. Baltimore down the road facing off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Ryan Yarbrough is going to be going for the Rays. Meanwhile, you've got John Means on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5, you're going to be finding that over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. Meanwhile, you've got an 8 out there as well. That over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. And if you're taking a look at the money line here with the Tampa Bay Rays, anywhere between minus 175 and minus 190. The plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles. It's anywhere between plus 160 and plus 175, and it's been a very, very bad year for John Means. You take a look at his starts. I don't think he's went past three innings in a single start so far this year. This was the all-star of the poopy Baltimore Orioles from 2019. They're not quite so poopy this year at 14 and 16, but I mean, man, 10-13 ERA. He's made four starts, and he's went 10 and two-thirds innings. He actually did make a start that went past three innings. Four and two-thirds against the Miami Marlins in that strange double dip when the COVID Marlins were coming off their COVID little ordeal, but with that said, it certainly has not been the world's greatest showing for Means as he has gotten so far four home runs given up in 10 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 12 hits in the process. It's not been great. Meanwhile, for Ryan Yarbrough, it certainly has been a trial by fire for him as well. 30 and a third innings. He has given up five home runs, nine walks in the process of only 21 punch outs. Not necessarily the world's greatest swing and miss guy, but you got to expect him to be a little bit better with the command as well. This is someone that you take a look at what he's done recently. Four runs or more given up in three out of his last four starts. That is a little bit unsightly, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, this is an offense that they've been functional so far this year. I fear that they're going to wind up falling back to earth a little bit as they've scored four plus runs in all but one of their games aside from the just weird game that was suspended and picked up the next day against the 
Toronto, aka Buffalo Blue Jays, on August 8th. But you take a look at this roster, you've got quite a few guys that are now getting on base. Brandon Lau, Joey Wendell, Yandy Diaz, all hitting between a 290 and a 300. Manuel Margot just above a 300. But then you need more out of guys like Mike Zanino, Mr. Perez at the catcher spot, Hunter Renfro, G-Man Choi, Yoshi Tsutsogo, all hitting at the Mendoza line or lower. Austin Meadows just has not gotten over COVID so far this year. 233 batting average. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, they did have to go deep into their bullpen. Guys like Diego Castillo and company were used up in the win on Wednesday. But then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. This is a bunch that they probably aren't going to have Michael Gibbons along with Miguel Castro available for this game. They both went 17 plus pitches in the loss on Wednesday as Asher Wojciechowski only gave them four innings. But what you like about the Baltimore Orioles is the fact that you've got quite a few guys doing a good job of getting on base. Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, Renato Nunez, lying between a 279 and a 281. And we know about the power that Santander has. 10 home runs so far this campaign. Hanser Alberto does not walk a lot, but he's been able to hit above a 300. And then you got a man with a very interesting name, Ryan Mountcastle, hitting a 375. It's been a mountain of hits for him. Meanwhile, you've got Rio Ruiz. Pet Valleca, both hitting a 225 or lower, but Brian Holiday's been able to give this team a little bit of something at the catcher spot along with Pedro Severino, who's been in and out of the fold recently. I do think that we're going to get a good amount of offense in this one, but I think that the Rays are going to take it to John Means with the Orioles using up a lot of their better bullpen arms in their loss on Wednesday. I think that it's just going to be one of these things where the runs are going to be flowing left and right. So I'm going to be taking a look at a Rays run line here to go along with the over. If you're taking a look at this Rays run line, you're going to be finding it varying a little bit with the juice. I'm seeing mostly evenish money, so I would expect it to be right in that neighborhood. Maybe a minus 105, maybe a plus 105, but we're going to be taking that along with this total over as we move on to game number 961, 962 on the betting board as the Minnesota Twins are on the road facing off against the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd goes for the Tigres. Meanwhile, Randy Dobinick is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins. If you're looking at the Twins, a little bit of a range here. You're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 150 and minus 170. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Tigres, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 140 and plus 155. Your total on this game is between 9.5 and 10. On the 9.5, the under is anywhere between minus 150 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the 10, over and under are both at minus 110 from a lot of what I'm seeing. So this is a little bit of a moving number. And this is certainly going to be a spot at which I'm going to be taking a look at the Minnesota Twins. With Matthew Boyd, he's given up 2.5 home runs per nine innings over his last 24 starts. This guy has been a hot mess in that time period. More than a 5-5 ERA. He actually looked decent in his last start against the Cleveland Indians. He wound up giving up two runs. And I don't think he gave up a home run in that start, which is like the first time in an eternity. But with that said, I do expect him to get hit. And I expect him to get hurt hard in this one. And when you take a look at what the Detroit Tigers wound up doing... On Wednesday to be able to get the win against the Chicago Cubs, they did have to dig into their bullpen quite a bit as Michael Fulmer being used pretty much as a pseudo-opener at this point. So that means that Joe Jimenez, Jose Cicerno, Gregory Soto all wound up having to use pitches on Wednesday. And I think Buck Farmer is pitching back-to-back days. So they're going to be a little bit depleted there. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that they're actually getting online with their bats. They wound up having 18 hits against the Chicago Cubs on Wednesday, which is something I don't think is going to be able to duplicate itself, but Miguel Cabrera starting to get online. He's now hitting a 220, which is good. Nico Goodrum and Jorge Bonifacio are both hitting below the Mendoza line, but you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Austin Romine, who's hitting a 290. Isaac Paradis has been able to give the team right around a 270 batting average. Victor Reyes is more around a 265, and Jameer Candelario has come around as well. He's hitting a 283. Jonathan Scope has been able to give the team some power. He's got 17 RBI. He's been able to hit a 300 as well. And then when you take a look at the flip side, and what you've been able to get 
right now, the Minnesota Twins, they've actually been one of the best teams to the under so far this year, which I find to be very intriguing. With the Minnesota Twins, you've got quite a few guys that they need to pick it up a little bit when it comes to the batting average. As you've got a couple guys that are hovering right in that 275-ish range. I do like what I'm seeing out of Lamonte Wade along with Jorge Palonco. And then you've got a couple guys in that more 240 to 250 range. Eddie Rosario... Marwin Gonzalez and don't you know Miguel Sano are all in that neighborhood as well but here Adrianza, Alex Avila both hitting below the Mendoza line. Max Kepler has gotten his average up to right around a 240 but it certainly has been a little bit like Sadezico compared to what he's been in the past. Now Nestle Cruz is doing some great things. Cruz is hitting for 11 home runs 315 batting average. He has been absolutely terrific. And for the Minnesota Twins, when it comes to the bullpen ERA, they are in the top five in the league, but Submergio Romo submerged the game against the Cleveland Indians. I thought that that was absolutely hilarious. So that was very fun to say the least with Mr. Romo being able to blow that game. But you take a look at what is probably going to be happening in this game. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game because Randy Dobnik has been absolutely terrific for the Minnesota Twins so far this year. He has an ERA of a buck 78, 30 and a third innings. He's given up just seven walks, three home runs. He really had a good year in 2019 as well. He was called up in like late September, late August, somewhere in that range, and he was able to be solid. And he's made six starts so far this year. He's really been going like five to five and a third innings in a lot of his starts. So you are going to need to rely upon the bullpen a little bit here, but I think that the Detroit Tigers are going to be held in check, and I think the Twins are going to be able to get this W. I'm seeing a run line here in the neighborhood of about minus 110-ish with the Minnesota Twins. I think it's worth taking. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game because I think that Dobnik is going to be able to silence the Tigers, and this is a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in Detroit. So for that reason, I'm going to be going with this total under, and I'm going to be taking the Twins run line. 963, 964 on the betting board is up next. This is a game that is currently off the board as you've got the New York Metropolitans and they are going to be playing us the Miami Marlins. Sixto Sanchez is going to be going for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, it is good old to be determined for the New York Mets, which is why this game is off the board. With Michael Waka and David Peterson currently on the 10-day injured list, this team wound up having to go to Seth Lugo for a start a couple days ago. I mean, it's just anyone's guess as to who they're going to be throwing out there, but this might be a good spot for the Miami Marlins because Sixo Sanchez looked very good in his last start. He did wind up giving up three runs over the course of five innings, including two home runs, but this guy throws gas. He was able to throw 100 miles an hour in his first start against the Washington Nationals. I really like what I'm seeing out of this young 22-year-old fireballer. Meanwhile, with the Miami Marlins, this is an offense that they've been functional so far, and the New York Mets, well, they've scored five runs over the course of their last three games with runners in scoring position over their last three games, and I kid you not here, they are 2 of 28. Eey, that is not good. Now, for the New York Mets, you actually do have one of the best batting averages out there in the big leagues. And Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto have been able to chip in their five home runs apiece with Conforto hitting right around a 325. J.D. Davis has been able to give this team a 295. Dominic Smith, 315. He's been able to hit some bombs in. What's really been surprising is Robinson Cano hitting a 385. Got a couple guys that are underachieving like Wilson Ramos. Amid Rosario and Pete Alonso all in a 225 or lower, but for Alonso, right around a 360 on base. And for the Miami Marlins, I just don't know how they're doing it, but they've maintained a 14 and 12 record. And this with a bunch of guys that they're very average. Jonathan Villar is hitting a 272. He's been solid. Miguel Rojas is back in the fold. He's hitting a 367. He had a big home run for the team about a week or so ago. But then you got Lewis Brinson along with Monte Harrison, both hitting below the Mendoza line. They've been relegated to more of the bench. You've got Jesus Aguiar hitting more in the neighborhood of a 280. He's been able to give this team a little bit of power. And then you got Corey Dickerson doing a good job of getting that base. He and John Birdie are hitting more in the neighborhood of about a 260-ish. 
if you wind up getting Walker Lockett, which we've already seen for the New York Mets, I'm going to be all over the Miami Marlins because Walker Lockett is terrible. He wound up giving up like five runs at a spot start for Jacob deGrom. So I certainly am probably going to be leaning a little bit to the Miami Marlins. If you're seeing this total, I would say north of nine and a half. I'll probably be looking at the under, but this is one in which if you're seeing a normal total of like, say nine, eight and a half, something like that. I'm probably going to be taking a look at the over unless of the Mets wind up saying, you know what, we're going to trot out there the second coming of Jacob deGrom and or Jacob deGrom himself once again. But check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for some plays there. 965, 966 on the bang board is up next. You've got the Washington Nationals playing us the Philadelphia Phillies. Spencer Howard goes for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Mad Max Scherzer is going to be on the bump for the Nets. If you're looking at the Nationals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 175 and minus 190. Meanwhile, plus price here with the Phillies is is going to be anywhere between plus 160 and plus 172. Your total on this game is 9. With the 9, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And this is going to be a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at Max Scherzer and company. Now, he was left out there a little bit too long in his last start against Miami Marlins, which is why he was unable to cover the run line. And I will say this for Max Scherzer. It seems like he's getting off to really good starts. Like, when he's throwing his first 75 or so pitches, he looks like vintage Max Scherzer. But this guy is 36 years old. You tell that there might be a little bit too much tread on the tires. He's starting to fade a little bit late in game, so that is a little bit of a concern. As you take a look at Max Scherzer, these are not Max Scherzer numbers. 431 ERA. He's given up five home runs in 31 and a third innings and 13 walks. A lot of that has been coming late in his starts. Meanwhile, for Spencer Howard, I know he's a highly touted prospect for the Philadelphia Phillies. It just seems like he's a ways away. 617 ERA. He's gotten 11 punch outs in 11 and two-thirds innings, but with that, he's also given up four home runs, which is not necessarily terrific. He's made three starts. He has not went past the fifth inning in any of those, and it certainly has been a little bit of a trial by fire for him, and take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. All of a sudden, they actually have a couple bullpen arms as Brandon Workman was able to work a save for the team on Wednesday. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The Philadelphia Phillies now have a bullpen ERA that is South of eight. So, I mean, that's good on them. You still have quite a few guys that are doing a great job with the bat. Andrew McCutcheon, who got off to a very rough start to the year. He's now eating at 260. Now, Reese Hoskins is still eating at 230, but a 423 on base. Bryce Harper, 317 batting average, 457 on base. And then JT Riamuto has been really, really good. Nine home runs, 284 batting average for him. Gene Segura still needs to pick it up a little bit along Scott Kingery. Kingery's hitting a buck 21. It's not been good, but you take a look at Segura. He's hitting at 234. It's starting to pick up for him. Roman Quinn has been able to do a little bit better job at a 250. And then for the Washington Nationals, actually one of the best teams of the big leagues when it comes to batting average. They just, in every single game, seem to go like 1 of 10 with runners in scoring position. On Wednesday, it was 2 of 10, but they are just professionals at just leaving men on base. But you do have quite a few guys hitting a 300 or better. Trey Turner down for what? Juan Soto and Howie Kendrick all fall in that fold in with Mr. Soto. Despite the fact that he's missed quite a few games due to COVID, he's only played 20 so far this year. 8 home runs, 18 RBI. He's been able to do a great job there. Adam Eaton has been able to pick up his batting average to a 240. And then you got the first man born in 2000 in Luis Garcia. Did a home run doing a great job for this team with a little bit over a 300 batting average as well. With the Nationals, they did wind up using up Danny Hudson in their loss on Wednesday along with Tanner Rainey, and I think Rainey got used in back-to-back days, so they are probably going to need a little bit more out of Mad Max Scherzer here, but I do think that the Nationals are going to be able to get it. I know that the Phillies are a solid lineup, but 
throughout his career. Mad Max Scherzer has been able to have a lot of success against the Philadelphia Phillies. Obviously, you're going to have a little bit of a different lineup here, but I'm going to be taking a look at the Nationals on the run line here. I'm seeing it right around evenish money. You might find a minus 105. You might find a plus 105, something like that, but we're going to be taking that, and we're going to be taking this total under as well as we move on to game number 967-968 on the betting board as it is the Walker Texas Rangers, and they are going to be playing LC Oakland A's. Chris Bassett does the hook, line, and sinker on this one. Meanwhile, Jordan Lyles is going to be going for the Texas Rangers. Your total on this game is 10. If you're looking at the 10, the over is anywhere between even and minus 110. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. And if you're looking at the Oakland A's, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 172 and minus 190. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Texas Rangers is anywhere between plus 158 and plus 170. And it's a spot in which the Texas Rangers are just an unbackable side. This is a team that ever since they wound up getting caught up with Fernando Tatis Jr. They have won a grand total of one game and that's because Lance Lynn was on the mound and Lance Lynn in my opinion has been a top 5 pitcher so far this year. You take a look at Jordan Lyles he's not a top 5 pitcher so far this year he has been absolutely terrible he's got an ERA north of 6 this is someone that it looked like he found a career rebirth with the Milwaukee Brewers during the 2019 campaign Eh, wrong, and he's going to be going up against Mr. Bassett, who hasn't necessarily been great, but he certainly has been far from awful. This is going to be a really intriguing one. As for Mr. Bassett, he wound up giving up a bunch of home runs during the 2019 campaign. He's done a much better job of being able to hold the ball in the yard in 2020, and as we know, this is a new Globe Life Park. It is now playing a lot more pitcher-friendly, and for Bassett, he has a 297 ERA. He's given up three home runs at 33 and a third innings, and he's limited the walks to nine. Meanwhile, with Lyles, 13 walks at 24 and a third innings giving up five home runs and he's got 16 punch outs to go with a 925 ERA and a 189 whip. I always say that if your whip would be an impressive bench press number for a set of 10, you're doing a bad job. I wish I could do a buck 89 for a set of 10. And for the Texas Rangers, the bullpen has actually been quite decent for this team. Now with the Oakland A's, you are dealing with an injury to Matt Chapman, and it looks like Chad Pinder is currently on paternity leave, but you still have Seema Biscotti. He's been able to right around at 270 for this bunch. He's given the team five home runs. Matt Olson is really intriguing, as I was talking about with our good buddy Curtis Rogers. 10 home runs, but he's hitting a buck 78, so that really doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But then you've got Ramon Loreno who's really been scuffling. He's got a 215 batting average, but still a 359 on base. And that's really been a hallmark of this team. Tony Kemp is hitting a 250, but 384 on base. Marcus Simeon, he hasn't been able to duplicate that 233 batting average, 287 on base. But Robbie Grossman has a 460. On base as well, so you gotta like that. And for the Oakland A's, lights out bullpen. They're in the top five in the big leagues when it comes to ERA. You did wind up having to use up a couple of bullets in the team's three to one win on. Wednesday, but you should have available quite a few guys. Maybe like a Weem should be available. Liam Hendricks was only used for 10 pitches, so he could perhaps go back-to-back in this one. And for the Texas Rangers, you did have a couple guys come out of the bullpen, but most of these guys went 15 pitches or lower, like Nick Goody, Jonathan Hernandez, and company. And for the Texas Rangers, this team just can't hit to save their lives right now. You've got Dan Diedrich, Joey Gallo, Danny Santana, all hitting a 200 or lower. Isaiah Kinnear Falefa has been able to give this team a little bit above a 250 batting average. And Ludi Tavares is hitting a 200. He hasn't been able to give this team a little bit of a spark, but since Chuchu is back, he's only getting a 216 for the year, but at the very least, he is able to give this team a little bit of something. The Todd father, Todd Frazier, after he got a good batting average beginning of the year, he's now falling back to a 240. Nick Solak has been able to do a little bit of something, but man, this is a very barren Texas Rangers team when it comes to hitting the ball. I think that the Oakland A's are going to be able to hold them in check once again. I think that Chris 
first pass that is going to be able to take some hook, line, and sinker. So I'm going to be looking at an A's run line here that is hovering right in the neighborhood of about minus 125 and minus 130. And I'm going to be riding with this total under as well. I've got to believe that Lyles is going to be better than a 925 ERA, and that's putting it very politely as we move on to 969, 970 on the betting board. This is going to be another one of those double headers, and it seems like we might be playing musical pitchers right now. As right now, the game that they have listed is game two of the double dip, but it looks like for game one, they might be using the pitchers for game two, so be on the lookout for that. 969, 970 is going to be Wade Miley going up against Josh Lindblom. This was scheduled for 5, 10 p.m. Pacific, 8, 10 p.m. Eastern, but with the doubleheader, looks like these guys might be pitching in the 2, 10 p.m. Pacific, 5, 10 p.m. Eastern game, but you are going to be getting in some form or fashion Lindblom against Wade Miley. And then in game two of this doubleheader, it's going to be Sonny Gray against Adrian Hauser. So that is going to be very intriguing. We don't have any numbers for Gray versus Hauser, but if you take a look at sort of the numbers that we wound up having from Wednesday, because this is the exact same pitching matchup, you can expect it to be very similar for the Cincinnati Reds. They are right around a minus 120-ish favorite with the Brewers right around plus 110. And you are seeing a total of 8.5 shaded to the under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120 with the over more around even a minus 105. Now, obviously, with a 7-ending game, you got to think that that total is probably going to be more around like 7-ish. And then when you take a look at this game for Wade Miley versus Josh Lindblom, 969-970, what you had was a total between 9 and 9.5. And you got to think that that's going to be coming down to anywhere between 7 and 7.5. And and with the Brewers, you were finding them right around minus 125 and the Cincinnati Reds at plus 115. I can tell you right now, if we're getting a total below 7.5 in Wade Miley versus Josh Lindblom, I'm going to be taking that over because with Josh Lindblom, he has not been great so far this year, and that's putting it politely. The former KBO MVPs, the, the smiling blobs, really like this guy, but a 6.65 ERA in five starts, 21 and two-thirds innings as he has not made it past the fifth inning in any of them. He has been able to do a good job of getting swings and misses, 32 punch-outs, but he's given up five home runs and 11 walks. That is not necessarily ideal. Meanwhile, for Wade Miley, this guy is all over the place. He's got a 9.72 ERA. He finally put together a halfway decent start against the St. Louis Cardinals, in which he gave up three runs over the course of five innings, because in his first two starts, he failed to make it out of the second inning. And we saw that a lot from him in September while he was with the Houston Astros last year. I mean, it was just a hot mess that's putting it very politely. And I will say this, you know what else is a hot mess? The fact that the Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds as a collective are both hitting a 215 or lower. I mean, it's absolutely terrible for the Brewers. I mean, you just need a sign of life. Everyone that wound up seeing it at bat for this team on Tuesday has a batting average of a 250 or lower aside from their pinch hitter in Mark Mathis. That is absolutely terrible. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, Joey Votto's hitting below the Mendoza line. Eugenio Suarez is. How about Mike Moustak is hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 200. Nick Cassiano's hitting a 245. And Jesse Winker, to his credit, has been solid. He's hitting a 299 with six home runs in limited at-bats. But then you wind up bringing up to the big leagues Mark Payton. He wound up tearing it up in the PCL, but that's a juice ball league, and it has not necessarily translated to success. The entire catcher spot has been terrible with Tucker Barnard and Kirk Casale, both hitting right around a buck 75. Freddie Galvis has absolutely no idea how to score from third on a single to right field from third base. Uh, it's just absolutely insane what is happening with the team right now. Kyle Farmer hitting a 270, but then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. Christian Yelich is hitting at the Mendoza line. Justin Spoke has been able to give you a little bit of something. He's hitting a 211, but recently he's been better, but Omir Navarez, Ben Gamble, Eric Sogard, all hitting a 200 lower. Avisail Garcia is hitting a 230, but for the Brewers, you should have a healthy Josh Hader in this game. He was used in back-to-back days for the team on Tuesday and also Monday, but he has that day off on Wednesday 
Wednesday along Devin Williams. Both these guys have been terrific. So you've got that going for the Milwaukee Brewers. So I'm probably going to wind up taking in Lindblom versus Wade Miley. The Brewers and this total over, if you're seeing it right around 7.5. I was looking at the under and also the Cincinnati Reds when it came to Wednesday's game. I don't think anything is going to change there because with Sonny Gray, this guy has been absolutely terrific. He's got an ERA below 2.5. He's given up six hits or fewer in each out of his last 35 starts. He wound up getting lit up when he faced off against the Brewers earlier this year, but I think he's going to be back with a vengeance. He's got a 4-1 record, 2.21 ERA, three home runs given up in 36 and two-thirds innings. And for Hauser, he certainly hasn't been bad either. 29 innings. He's given up right around four home runs. Now, I will say, in his last three starts, he's given up three plus in every one of them, but I think he should be able to do a solid job here. I think that the bullpen isn't going to need to help him out too much. The 10 walks of 29 innings, neither great nor bad. So if you're taking a look at a total of seven or higher in Hauser versus Sonny Gray, I'll be looking at that under six and a half. It's going to be a little bit of a tougher call. I'd probably take that under as well, though, and I'll be looking at the Cincinnati Reds in Gray versus Hauser. 971-972 on the betting board is up next. The LA Dodgers are going to be on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. You got to think that this is going to be another one of those doubleheaders as it looks like you've got Walker Buehler against Logan Webb for what is supposed to be game one now. That is going to be at 1.05 p.m. Pacific, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, but on the betting board, that's 5.05 p.m. Pacific, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, which would make a game two of the doubleheader. Meanwhile, in the other matchup that you're probably going to see between the LA Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants, it's now Logan Webb against Clayton Kershaw. That is going to be at 4.05 p.m. Pacific, 7.05 p.m. Eastern, so... Buckle up for safety there. We're going to handicap it as if we're going to be going off of ESPN with 4.05 p.m. Pacific being Kershaw versus Logan Webb. And then we're going to have Walker Buehler against Mystery Pitcher in game number one. I don't want any part of San Francisco Giants Mystery Pitcher in game number one. I hear that he's a little bit mysterious. Serious, and he's able to bring some good heat, but with Walker Buehler, despite the fact that his home and road splits are not necessarily great, and he's given up five home runs in 25 innings so far this year, you got to feel like this is someone that's going to be able to put it all together. And you take a look at what he's done on the road so far this year for Buehler, three starts, 6.08 ERA. That's not necessarily been ideal. He's given up five walks and five home runs over the course of 13 and a third innings, but you take a look at what he's been able to do throughout his career. He's been much better on the road, and you take a look at those road starts against the Astros, the Padres, and the Angels. So certainly a trio of very good lineups there. And for the LA Dodgers, this is a team that I do think is really starting to get online when it comes to the bats. This is a team that they've been a little bit up and down so far this year, but you've still got Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner down for what? All in between a 290 and a 300. And with Mookie Betts, he has been the bets around with 11 home runs. So that has been terrific. Cody Bellinger starting to pick it up for the scene, but he, Will Smith, Jock Peterson, Max Muncy all hitting at 225 or lower. And then you've got AJ Pollock. He has come back to earth a little bit, but he's still hitting at 265. And for the San Francisco, Francisco Giants. How about what Donovan Solano's been able to do? 351 batting average, 390 on base. He's been absolutely terrific. Little bit of a journeyman out there in baseball. And you got quite a few guys that are hitting in that neighborhood of about a 290 to a 300-ish. Mikey Stremski, Wilmer Flores, and Evan Logoria all in that full with Yaz. He's been able to give this team 23 RBI, 7 home run. Joey Bart, ever since he's been called up to the big leagues, has a 350 on base. His batting average has zipped a little bit with a 235, but I like what I've seen out of him. Darren Ruff has been able to give this team a 262. And all of a sudden, Brandon Belt has been belting out just a bunch of hits. He had five RBI in the team's come from behind win on Tuesday. He's got a 313 batting average. This is someone that had fallen off the map a little bit. He now has really been able to put it together for this team as he's got multi-hit games in each of his last three. He has been able to do a terrific job with that regard. He's not striking out much at all as well. And then Brandon Crawford along with Mauricio Dubin hitting between a 255 and a 265. 
Now, when it comes to mystery pitcher, I don't want any part of that. I'll probably wind up taking the Dodgers run line in game one. But if you're taking a look at Clayton Kershaw versus Logan Webb, I would certainly be taking a look at Logan Webb because this is a very similar matchup to what we were supposed to see on Tuesday. If you were taking a look at this one, it was the San Francisco Giants having a massive plus price on them. You were seeing that right in the neighborhood of about $2 at $2.10. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers, you were laying anywhere between minus $2.20 and minus $2.40. That was with Kevin Gosman supposedly going for the San Francisco Giants. You've got to think that that number is going to be going upward. That total was eight. Probably a total of seven here. And for Clayton Kershaw, he hasn't necessarily had a lot of success against the San Francisco Giants so far this year. 3-1 record with a 2.25 ERA. But when he faced off against the Giants about two weeks ago, four and a third innings, he gave up four runs, three bombs, and he's given up a home run in each out of his last three starts. Now he's gotten six punch outs or more in all of them. 24 innings pitched so far this year. 29 strikeouts has been solid. But with the Dodgers, their league-leading bullpen has been faltering a little bit. I don't have trust in guys like Dylan Floro, Dennis Santana, and company to be able to keep this going for the entire season. So in this spot, if you'd be seeing the Giants at like plus 250, which I think might be viable, I'd be taking a look at them. Now, this is one in which you're going to need to check back on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty14 because we are seeing a whole bunch of moving numbers, but those are just my initial thoughts when it comes to the double dip between the Giants and the Dodgers. And we wrap things up with another pair of doubleheaders, but fortunately, these are both listed on the betting board, so we can overcome that. 973 974 is going to be the Pittsburgh Pirates on the road against the St. Louis Cardinals and then 975-976 is as well. If you're taking a look at game one, it is going to be Chad Cool going for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Meanwhile, Wong Young Kim is going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals and on this one, you're going to be finding that total right in the neighborhood of seven. With a seven, you're finding that over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 128 and meanwhile, that under is anywhere between plus 108 and minus 110 with the St. Louis Cardinals in that one, anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Buccos, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 150 and plus 165. Meanwhile, 975, 976, you're going to be seeing a pair of youngsters who are going to be going in this one as for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Cody Ponce is going to be getting the start, and Mr. Johan Oviedo is going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game, anywhere between 7 and 8. On the 8, you're finding the under at minus 120, and the over is even. On 7, you're finding that over anywhere between minus 120 and minus 140, with the under anywhere between even and plus 120. And on 7.5, the over and under are both at minus 110, and for the St. Louis Cardinals in this one, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 165 and minus 188. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Pirates are anywhere between plus 150 and plus 170. If those are crazy numbers, well, yeah, they are. I'm going to be taking a look at the run line of the St. Louis Cardinals on both of these, and I can tell you right now, run line on the Cardinals in both of these, right in the neighborhood of about a plus 130, plus 135-ish, so that should simplify things a little bit with Mr. Oviedo. He wound up actually having a solid start against the Chicago Cubs in his first career start. Gave up two runs over the course of five innings. I thought he was going to get completely lit up. He really had not pitched past the double-A level. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Ponce. This is someone that has not had a lot of experience. He's made two appearances so far in his career for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He wound up pitching three innings for the team on Thursday, August 6th against the Minnesota Twins, and he got one out against the Chicago Cubs in a game earlier in August. This is someone that he really has not had a lot of experience whatsoever. And speaking of not a lot of experience, the Pirates have not had a lot of success putting bat to ball so far this year. It has been absolutely terrible. This is as a collective hitting a 225 or lower. You take a look at the lineup, it's getting a little bit better as Cole Tucker and Eric Gonzalez are both hitting between a 265 and a 255. And you've got Jacob Sullingson in 315. Past that, everyone else 
at Saw and at bat for the Pittsburgh Pirates on Wednesday is hitting a 205 or lower. That is absolutely terrible. I'm looking at you, Josh Bell, Brian Reynolds, Jose Azuna, Adam Frazier, JT Riddle, and Gregory Palanco. Meanwhile, you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that they wind up rallying for four runs in the ninth inning to just lay a bad beat on those that took the Kansas City Royals and the under on Wednesday. And I am raising my hand because I am one of those people. But for the Cardinals, they've had Paul Goldschmidt and Brad Miller both hitting a 333 with both having right around a 450-ish on base. It's been absolutely terrific for this bunch with Goldschmidt. Nine RBI you've got like that. Now you've got a couple bats that are slumping, to say the least. Matt Carpenter, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson all hitting a 215 or lower. But Colton Wong along with Harrison Bader have been able to hit right in the neighborhood of about a 240-ish time. He had been more around a 230. And Paul Young has come back and he's actually looked solid. He's hitting right around 280 at 30 plus home runs during the 2019 campaign. The Pittsburgh Pirates just aren't able to provide any of that with the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is a team in which the bullpen has been used up quite a bit because they wound up giving up 10 runs to the Chicago White Sox on Wednesday. I will say this. To their credit, you wound up having Trevor Williams eat up six innings for them, so you should have a lot of guys like Richard Rodriguez and company that are going to be available. They should be thanking Trevor Williams because they could really be heading into this double dip in rough shape, but I'm going to be looking at the run line of the Cardinals in both of these games. When it comes to the Kim versus Cool game, I'm going to be taking a look at the under because with Chad Cool, this is someone that has actually been halfway decent for this team. It's not great. It's not terrible. 284 ERA, 19 total innings. He's been doing a mix of starting and also coming in at the back half of the Steven Brault starts. So as a result, he's just had some very wonky numbers. He has went past the fifth inning zero times so far this year, but approximately five innings in each out of his last two starts. He has given up three home runs in that time span, but only four runs as well. Now, he's not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy, but he has gotten 19 punch outs and 19 innings so far this year, despite getting just one against the Milwaukee Brewers in his last start. Meanwhile, Kim, he comes over from the KBO, SK Wyvern superstar. He has looked very good for the team. He's made three total appearances, two starts. He wound up giving up two runs in relief against the Pittsburgh Pirates to begin the year, but in his two actual starts, nine and two-thirds innings, he's given up one run. Now, only four straight strikeouts, but in his last start against the Reds, six strong innings. He gives up three hits, no walks. He was able to do a great job there, so I think that he's going to be able to induce some soft contact. This is a Pirates team that's terrible on offense, so we're going to be looking at that under. Meanwhile, for Ponce versus Oviedo, with both of these guys being very young and inexperienced, I'm going to be taking a look at that over and the Cardinals run line in both of those spots. And now we'll wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Thursday. I did my absolute best with the betting board. If it was a little bit off kilter, if it was a little bit weird, I do apologize, but it certainly was interesting. A big thanks to our good friend Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. And if you ever have any questions for the podcast, fired in my timeline at GRS41. Hopefully you're all sleep healthy and doing well. I'll be back with you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.